prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and come together today. And Lord, we can call the name of Jesus. We can lift the name of Jesus. And, you know, and we talk about that. And, uh, you know, certainly we feel that on, a, on an emotional and spiritual level. But in reality, you have magnified your word above all your name. Because Jesus is the word. And the spirit answers to the word. And if we're going to speak the name of Jesus over anything, we've got to know what the Word of God says, and we've got to be into it, and we've, we've got to follow it, and particularly at a day like today with the Lord's Supper. So, Father, help us do that today and walk with you this week. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated in the Lord's presence. As you get seated, you know, Brandon, I almost had to give you the, give you the SOS sign so you could tell people to scoot over some. And uh, even though there are a few scattered seats here and there, uh, when everybody's standing, and we tend to stand when we're singing, and I didn't do that in the old church, but in our church, we tend to, you know, unless the, pa- the plate's being passed, as soon as that gets done, people stand. And, and then it's difficult when people come in to see where the open seats are. So if you think about it, feel free to gravitate to the center of the aisles and leave open seats on the end. That, you know, that will help, uh, help people out some. And first thing I want to ask, did anybody, does anyone need the bread and the cup elements? You, either you didn't get one when you came in, or you dropped it on the way to your seat, or you need one now, raise your hand. We've got the deacons. They will come, ab- come around, come by, and uh, get you one. So we've got a few hands up. Uh, we'll get you taken care of with that. I want to apologize in advance. You know, we have uh, not passed the uh, plates around since COVID. <laughs> And we've used these individual ones since then, and we found uh, some really good ones. I think they were Presbyterian. <laughs> but supply chain issues. And because of supply chain issues, we are back to the Baptist ones. And I apologize. <laughs> this, uh, you know, I, we have, listen, we have extra cupcakes and cookies from Friday night, from the worship night, and our 30th anniversary celebration, I almost considered, hey, let's just pass cupcakes around, because <laughs> um, it's almost that bad. And, and these are the Baptist ones. <laughs> these are the Lifeway Southern Baptist approved, and it's a surgical process even to get it open, and, and uh, I am sure that, that it is unleavened bread. I'm, I'm sure, I mean... <laughs> No Baptist would put foam in there, uh, so I'm sure it's good, but I apologize in advance for that. If, if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, there's a flow of pain here running through verses 13 to 15, and Jesus senses that uh, he's coming to the cross, and uh, the disciples are just beginning to sense what it will mean with his loss, and, and Jesus assigns... Peter and John to prepare the Passover. Verse 13 of Luke 22 says, And they went and found as he had said unto them, he told them how to find a room that would be all set up, the room itself. But it says they still had to make ready the Passover. And those preparations were meticulous. They were time-consuming because the Jews were required to search the entire house, not just the room they were eating Passover in. They had to search the entire building 
for any sign of yeast. They had to do it in silence. They had to do it by candlelight because they had to look underneath everything. Exodus 12, verses 15 and 20. In the first Passover, the Israelites were instructed to eat bread quickly without yeast. God was going to lead them out of Egypt without warning the Egyptians. But really, yeast has a much deeper significance than that. And any yeast that they were to find had to be put away either by burning it, by crumbling it and scattering it to the wind, or by tossing it into the sea. Unleavened bread is called the bread of affliction in Deuteronomy 16.3. No meat offering could be offered at the temple with any type of leaven, Leviticus 2.11. So sometimes people wonder why we use unleavened crackers at the Lord's Supper, and that's because leaven in the Bible is a Bible type. It is, a, it is meant to picture bad doctrine, Matthew 16.12, hypocrisy, Luke 12, verse 1. And then I want you to look on your handout at 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. New lump of bread, unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So now we know that leaven also pictured malice and wickedness as well as hypocrisy versus sincerity and bad doctrine instead of truth. So the room is furnished, verse 12, but the Passover lamb still has to be killed and prepared. And also to be prepared were some bitter herbs, the unleavened bread itself, a mixture of dates, raisins, and vinegar as the sop or as the dip for the bread. So Peter and John prepared the Passover for them all. Jesus is burdened with what is going to come after his arrest, his interrogation, his condemnation, and his crucifixion. But he does not want to go to the cross without this last supper. Verse 14, Luke 22. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So had the soldiers arrested Jesus in the upper room, instead of catching him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would have been deprived of what he wanted with his apostles. But this meal is a crucial part of his preparation for the future to enable him to endure the pain and the shame that was to come, just like it is part of ours. You know, I know we think so many times, man, I just can't stand that. I can't do this anymore. I'm fed up. I give up. That's it. No mas. No, I can't. Not, not this marriage. Not this job. Not this school. Not this class. Not this, these people. Not whatever. I'm just done. I'm out. Well, okay. But first, consider what you get at the Lord's Supper. Because Jesus, in the fellowship of this supper 
brought strength to his suffering and brings strength to ours. And Moses gives us a window on what we can claim, what you can claim for yourself this Sunday. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, there on your handout. Wherefore say, say, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and number one, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and will rid you of their bondage. And number two, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And number three, I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God. And number four, ye shall know that I am the Lord your God with which bringeth you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will free you, I will redeem you, I will take you to myself, and I will be your God. So there is love and loyalty, both between us for each other, and for each of us with the Lord at this supper. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross without this. I'm just saying, I know you think you can face tomorrow without this. Because that's just the way that we think. Jesus wants you to think differently. I don't know if we can walk out of here without this. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 and 28 say, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We need to be in communion with Christ and in common union with each other so that we can claim the promises of God. And your life with Christ isn't just an individual connection. It is a community connection, so much so. Paul says you've got to examine yourself. I mean, let Judas be a lesson. You've got you to examine your relationship with God and your relationship with others in this body. David says in Psalm 62, Psalms 26, verse 2, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Okay, your, your heart is like your emotions, but your reins are your inner motivations. So, so in the Old Testament and in English in the past, your reins were like, you know, your guts, yeah, things that are moving you on the inside. Uh, and the English word has come to mean, therefore, a uh, bit and bridle that we might control an animal with. And so these are your inner motivations of things that are really controlling you, and they are something that only God can test and show you if they are true or if they are not. We've got to ask and give him permission to do that, Psalm 26. So we're connected, our life with Christ through this Lord's Supper, and we reconnect our life with other believers, not only in this location as a local body of Christ, but across time and space. We get connected with everyone who got saved and knew Jesus as their Savior. So what we come here to physically consume commemorates a meal together, just like God's Old Testament people, the Jews, had at Passover, and just like every early church from the beginning observed as well. And this way, through all of our senses, we're transported back in time with Earth's earliest disciples 
I mean, what a glorious invitation this is to you. How, how do you know if you can accept this invitation? Well, number one, have you seen that you're a sinner and decided to trust Jesus for everlasting life and been so convinced of his promise for eternal life if you believe on him that you prayed and you asked God to save you and you know you're born again? Number two, have you shown your faith in Christ by being baptized by immersion as a testimony to that fact after you believed? In other words, it's not magical, it's not mystical, it is, it's not a magician's showmanship, it's not a sacrament, it's not something that somebody sprinkles you, somehow that gives grace to you, it's not anything like that. I mean, all the superstition is drained out of those things here at the Lord's Supper. Men came along later and they added all sorts of stuff. But the gospel good news is that Jesus died and was buried for your sins, and then he rose again so that you can be alive by his life, alive by the everlasting life that he gives you and he offers you right now. And that's good news because then that puts you in Christ that puts the Holy Spirit in you. So have you shown by being baptized that you know that that happened and you got saved? And you're showing us that you know that You've died to the world and you're alive to Christ. Third, are you old enough and are you willing to let God examine you in the faith and get right with others and be right with God? Now, New Testament ordinances don't carry Old Testament restrictions, so this isn't sacrament. And uh, nothing bad happens if you partake and you shouldn't. It just means that it doesn't mean for you everything that it's supposed to. So it is something spiritual, serious, and significant, and every fifth Sunday is our time to show before Jesus and others that we have accepted his invitation to be strengthened. Jeremiah 17, verse 10, God tells Jeremiah, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. It's not a matter of You judging somebody else or somebody else judging you, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Because sometimes we do things and we say, well, you know, yeah, I did that, but that wasn't that bad. Oh, well, what resulted from it, I wonder? So you don't have to be a member of this church to participate, but you ought to be able to answer yes to those three questions. And the Lord's Supper explains the cross. It confirms that we know what it means to be strengthened by the word through feeding off of the word, the word being both Jesus and the Bible. Now, let me validate that to you because one of the verses that our Awana kids memorized, I don't know if it was last Sunday or Sunday before, I think it was just last Sunday, the Awana kids memorized John 12, verse 48 which says, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words. That's how you reject him. So I haven't rejected Christ. Oh, but are you following his words? You know what his word says, the Bible. You know what it says in scripture. Are you doing that? No, well, then you've rejected him. And if you do that, it says, he hath one that judgeth him. And notice Jesus doesn't say, I'm the one who will judge him. Although in another place, he tells us that God has deferred all judgment to him as the son. But Jesus says, the thing that will judge him is the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. So Jesus intentionally and on purpose conflates himself with scripture. He combines 
his identity with the identity of Scripture. And that's why he speaks to the disciples in the, in the way he does at this Lord's Supper. And that's why he speaks to us about being able to be nourished both around this table and as we partake of his word. So we, ta- we, part- we take part of the bread and the cup, his body and blood. And it's not just intellectual knowledge. It has to be a personal experience because it is a, only a personal experience of the cross that could save you. Getting saved is an exchange of life. It is Christ for the criminal. You are the criminal. I am the criminal. And I know that I'm saved because I know that there was that exchange of life. I gave up my sinful, rotten life for his perfect, sinless, spotless life. So when you believed and received Jesus, it wasn't just for a fire escape from hell. And this Sunday reminds us that by making him our God, we are now nourished by his sacrifice through a continuous relationship with his words through his spirit. So the Holy Spirit, who is called the Spirit of Christ, Philippians 1.19, always answers to the word. 1 John 5 verse 6. Now look in John chapter 6 there on your handout because here are some verses that everybody's tripped over and get confused over. Jesus says in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, the living bread, the word of God bread, the my, me, uh, 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 me coming down and, and you eating of what I'm saying, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now don't let that confuse you, because here's how Jesus is explaining the Old Testament typology to them. The bread that you can eat and the bread that he will give are two different things. His flesh, which he will give for the life of the world is the anti-type and the bread that we eat, that's the biblical type. That's the shadow. That is the picture of what he gave on the cross. So atonement, consecration, and sanctification are all included under that one sacrifice of the Passover lamb, Exodus 12, verse 8. Now a similar offering was made, an offering of a ram, and bread, unleavened bread, in order to consecrate Aaron and the priests. That was Exodus 29, verses 32 to 34. And they ate that meal, and they ate that unleavened bread, and that bread now became their food and their source of their life in being set apart for God to be a priest unto Israel and to bring the people leaving Egypt and crossing through the wilderness all the way into the promised land. So also, this is really the case with the believer. Watch, John 6, verse 63, verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, makes alive, particularly alive from the dead. That's what quickening means. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, which we have now, not just inspired, but inscripturated in an English Bible, they are spirit and they are life. So what we do physically has to be matched up to what you do individually with God's words. And let me just say, 
that the King James Bible in English is the only unleavened bread we got. Now, I could prove that to you ten ways from Sunday. Take our LFBI class on what we call manuscript evidence and talk about Bible versions and things like that. But every week, almost every week, I prove that to you. I mean, I didn't always do this. I didn't used to do this. And there's been such a slide in our society and there's such a slide in evangelicaldom and even in Baptisthood. And so once I got my doctorate, I thought, you know, I'm going to do the opposite of what some people I have seen who got their doctorate did. I'm going to go the opposite direction. And every time I find it, I'm going to show it to you. Here's, here's why those other versions are corrupt. And we have the unleavened bread. And, you know, we read so many books about the Bible. We, we read so many books on the Bible. We would be so much better off just reading the Bible phrase by phrase and letting the Lord nourish us. So the first element is bread. I'm going to ask a couple of our deacons to uh, come up here to the front and stand behind the table with me and assist as uh, we get ready to take the bread. Now, before you do anything, again, this is like a surgical operation. This is why I hate this one. Uh, There are two flaps, actually, a kind of a clear one and then the aluminum foil one. You don't want the aluminum foil one yet. Just get the edge of the clear one. And if you peel it back... It allows you access to this unleavened bread wafer, regardless what it tastes like. And um, uh, so, if you you know if you need another one for some reason, raise your hand. We have Deacon come by and and give you one. Bread pictures this bread pictures three significant things in the in the Bible. It's a picture of the Word of God itself. Amos eight eleven, Matthew four four. Second is a picture of Christ's body given for us, just like he talked about in John 6. Third, this bread pictures the way in which our church is really just one body in Christ. So all of us as individual members are members of one body. Now look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Paul says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And communion simply means a common union. It is the union of professing Christians. It is the union of those who have become members. I mean, it is not just a union even of us in this location being a local body of Christ, it is a union between us and every other church that is observing the Lord's Supper in the way that we do with the biblical meaning that it has. And it is a union of us with the saints down through the ages who have done the same thing. Because when, when, when we all get together, it's just one body. So Paul says that the kingdom of God really doesn't have anything to do with what we eat or drink. That's Romans 14, 17. And yet what takes place at the cross was the formation of a spiritual body that you are placed into when you get born again. Ephesians 2, verses 15 and 16. So here in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, Paul says, For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread, not meaning this, but meaning Jesus, who is the bread of life. So I'm going to ask Matt Brogan. Matt, do you mind leading us in prayer before we partake of this? (coughs) 
All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, today we just want to thank you for the sacrifice uh, of your son, Jesus. Uh, yes. Let us never forget what you gave up so we all could have eternal life. Hmm. Uh, we take this bread in remembrance of him. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 22, verse 19 says, And Jesus took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. So with the broken bread in our hands, let us take, eat, and remember. And now, and you know, we almost need to have a class and practice before we do this for real. But if you'll take the other um, foil flap and try to lift it back without spilling what's inside. You know, both Matthew and Mark record Jesus blessing the bread before the cup, and uh, that is the same sequence that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, Luke had his own reasons for um, recording it uh, in a different way, but I'm going to ask Michael Cyrus, do you mind leading us in prayer uh, before we partake? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, who is in heaven, Father, we, this is a time, Lord, where we need to be um, in touch with the essence of the reason why you stepped down from your glory, Lord God, still having the power in your tongue to, to speak words, Lord, that could have saved you from what you knew you needed to go through, Lord, just for us. Lord, even while you were suffering and enduring the pain, you were asked to carry the very cross that they say you were nailed to, Lord, but it had to be very large stakes to hold the weight of a man such as yourself, Lord, to endure, for your body to endure pain, Lord God, until it could no longer hold on. We thank you, Lord God, that you were willing to do that just for us. And we praise you. We thank you for a church, Lord God, that teaches us the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 20 of Luke 22 says, Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So now with this fruit of the vine in our hands, drink ye all of it. I want to thank you deacons for helping me today. You can go ahead and be seated. So Jesus sweat blood in Gethsemane, Gethsemane's garden. He was beaten to within an inch of his life at Gabbatha, the pavement in Pilate's judgment hall. And then he went to Golgotha where he was crucified. So from Gethsemane to Gabbatha to Golgotha, in all those places he is suffering. It was at the Lord's Supper that he gains the nourishment and the strength to endure, and then it was on the cross that he poured out what was pictured in that Lord's Supper they had together. But, you know, Jesus wanted one more thing at this Last Supper, and this amazes me. He wanted to face his betrayer. Verse 21 of Luke 22 says, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. 
but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. So we read that Jesus had to suffer and also that Judas by his own free will played his own part in bringing on that suffering. And this is the word of explanation that Jesus offers before his death so that the disciples, as they see what is happening after his death, they will know exactly what was taking place. But now watch verse 23. And they began to inquire among themselves. They're asking each other which of them it was that should do this thing. So 10 of them ask, Lord, is it I? Matthew 26, verse 22. Judas asks, Master, is it I? Matthew 26, 25. And again, this is another one of the reasons I will keep showing you why the King James Bible in English is the unadulterated, as we would say, unleavened word of God. Because you will find in the King James that Judas consistently calls Jesus master because he could not make the 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3 confession to say that Jesus was his Lord. Master is it I. And then it's only the Apostle John that has a clear conscience and asks, Lord, who is it? John 13, verse 25. Now, I think that most of us have more of the ten disciples in us than we do of John. And probably the most likely person that we know to betray the Lord is ourselves. Eugene Peterson talks about studying for the ministry, and so he's at seminary, and he had a friend who was an artist, and this artist friend did not believe in the church and and did not believe, even though he was a friend of Eugene Peterson, did not believe in what he was doing and that he was going to seminary in order to study for ministry, but, uh, you know, he thought that the church would destroy him. And uh, so he offered to paint a portrait of Eugene Peterson, and he never allowed him to see that portrait while he was painting it. But then once it was all finished, Peterson saw how the artist had painted him as a shriveled up, spent, wasted, and dispirited man as a result of ministry and as a result of the church. You know, Peterson kept that portrait, even though he, you know, he didn't particularly like it, and he was not convinced that that is the man that he would become. But he said, you know, from time to time, I would look at that painting and then look in the mirror just to compare. What is it I'm seeing? The Word of God is our mirror. We're able to look into it to see a reflection, not of who we are right now, but both like and unlike the portrait painted for Peterson. It shows us Christ and how we are becoming like him. Watch, look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 on your handout. But we all, with open face, like Moses had. Moses went up the mountain. When he came down, his face shone. He had to put a veil on it. Paul says, you don't have to do that today. You're getting the word on the mountain. You are seeing Jesus on the mountain, but all all of us have an unveiled face beholding as in a glass, a looking glass, beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we are beholding the glory of the Lord in the word of God, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. 
The Spirit always answers to the Word. So the Holy Spirit invites you into an active response to God's Word right now, an active response to Jesus, an active response to what you've seen and what you've experienced, so that you can become like Christ in this life. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every Christian pray. Here's one thing, I mean just this one thing that I wish you'd do. I wish you'd stop offering God excuses and make a decision. Uh, You may not feel as confident as the Apostle John, but for heaven's sake, stop being Judas. Did you know that you can be saved today? And you've seen today everything that Jesus did for you on the cross right here at this Lord's table, and he is ready to save you now. All you have to do is trust him for the very thing he promises you in his word and with his own words. Believe on him for everlasting life. Don't let the devil tell you you got to change before you come to Jesus. Jesus changes everything All you have to do is pray. It's not an act of works. It is an act of faith, but that even that faith is given by God. So really it's an act of your will to pray. And God gives you the faith. All you got to do is just say, God, please, today, save me for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus today for everlasting life. Jesus, this pastor said it's an exchange of life. Okay, here, Jesus, I give you my life. Now give me your life for eternity with you. Go ahead and stand, if you would, as we get ready to let the praise team sing us out. And if you prayed that prayer, please come up here to the front. Do it right now or do it while we sing or do it as soon as we get done. And I want to give you a copy of my book on next steps for new believers. I want you to be able to join in this body and everything God is doing. I want you to let your life accomplish things for eternity because you are using God's grace down here through his word. I want you to move out in love so that your will becomes God's will and God's will comes to pass in your life through what his word says. And then if you do that, don't don't leave the building today. Don't leave the church without going by the welcome desk in the lobby and sign up to be discipled so you can get God's word in your life and start that process going. Next Sunday, we'll be back in the book of Daniel, one chapter at a time. And next Sunday is the one chapter that is the key to unlocking all prophecy in the Bible, all big biblical prophecy, all prophecy on the second coming of Christ. You ought to invite somebody to come back with you. We're also in the process of taking deacon nominations. Next Sunday, I think, is the deadline on that. So this Sunday, I put into your handout some information on what we're looking for when we, when we talk about deacons. Mark chapter 14. Oh, one more thing. A freebie. 
How many of you uh, subscribe to Netflix and or other streaming services? Some, some multiple services. <clears throat> so there is such a slide in you know, what's available on media, social media and things like that. So what, what we did was this, we subscribed for you <coughs> to Right Now Media. It's like Kristen Netflix. And, and you know, and we don't, uh, we don't subscribe to every idea that is taught on there, but it's really a Christian Netflix. It does have a lot of good stuff on it and has my sermons on it. So I, it's good, at least for that. <laughs> and we did that for you. That's free. This tells you how to register, sign up for that on the other side of this card, which you can also get out in the lobby. Uh, we did the same thing for, with Dave Ramsey. So all of the Ramsey stuff, you can get on his site, you can set up your own budget, use all sorts of things, help you out financially. And I think that'll be important to you this year. So I want to point that out to you. Mark chapter 14, verse 26 says, and when they had sung a hymn after the Lord's Supper, they went out. So praise team, send us out singing.